Morning Press, a brainiron.com production. Here's 11 minutes or so of news for today, Tuesday, January 9th, 2024. Former President Donald Trump was in court on Tuesday as his attorneys argued before a three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit that he should be immune from criminal prosecution for any acts committed that he claims were being undertaken as official duties of the president. Prosecutors argued that presidents do not enjoy absolute immunity if they commit crimes while in office, even if they do so in what they believe is their official capacity as president, as no one, including the president, is supposed to be above the law in the United States. Further, they say that attempting to overturn the outcome of an election is not within the president's official duties, regardless of the immunity claim. The three judges all expressed a great deal of skepticism towards the former president's arguments, including George H.W. Bush appointee Judge Karen Henderson, who said, quote, I think it's paradoxical to say that Trump's constitutional duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed allows him to violate criminal law, end quote. Trump's lawyer insisted that allowing the prosecution to move forward would, quote, open a Pandora's box from which this nation may never recover, end quote, seeming to neglect or ignore the decidedly unique series of actions and behaviors that landed his client in this courtroom in the first place, to say nothing of the Pandora's box that might be opened if the courts rule that presidents are always above the law, so long as they insist that they are officially presidenting as they commit their crimes. It's unclear how quickly the court will issue its decision, but it's safe to say that the prosecution is hoping for sooner, while Trump's lawyers hope to draw out this process as long as possible in the lead-up to the election in November. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin will not be fired, and President Joe Biden says he will not accept his resignation if offered, following a strange incident last week in which Austin failed to communicate to the White House or to much of anyone else in the Pentagon that he would be out of touch and in the hospital. Secretary Austin underwent an elective medical procedure while on leave on December 22nd, a surgery from which he began experiencing severe complications on January 1st, when he was admitted to the intensive care unit at Walter Reed Military Medical Center. The White House was not informed of Austin's situation until January 4th, which was also the day that Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks became aware of Austin's hospitalization. Two days after Hicks, who was vacationing in Puerto Rico, had been transferred Austin's responsibilities. The Senate Armed Services Committee was made aware on January 5th, and Austin finally resumed his duties that evening, while still in Walter Reed. Politicians and observers from everywhere on the political spectrum are mystified by the situation, wondering how it can possibly be that top leaders in the White House and the Pentagon were unaware of Austin's absence, and that President Biden could go four days without talking to his defense secretary, especially at a time of ongoing global crisis, with war in Ukraine and the Middle East. The Biden administration has experienced very little in the way of top-level cabinet turnover, and Biden is known to be loyal to those in his immediate orbit, especially Austin, who used to attend Catholic Mass with Biden's deceased son, Beau, when they served together in Iraq. But this was a truly strange lapse in communication between the Pentagon and the White House, and it's not just the usual partisan suspects calling for more answers. 
A brief editorial aside, this incident suggests that either Lloyd Austin or Joe Biden, or both, are not meaningfully involved in the important day-to-day conversations around national security and the currently quite globally active United States military. The Biden administration, and perhaps even more so the Biden campaign, cannot abide the perception that it is Biden who is out of the loop at such a fraught time in international affairs. Austin, therefore, will be gone, one way or another, by the end of the week. United Airlines announced that inspections have revealed loose bolts in need of tightening in some of the grounded Boeing 737 MAX 9 airplanes that it is inspecting after the door plug of an Alaska Airlines plane blew out shortly after takeoff on Friday. United said that the issue appears to stem from an installation issue with the door plug and has been found in several planes of differing ages, meaning that the problem does not appear specific to a group of planes that rolled off the assembly line at the same time. The FAA and Boeing only finalized an inspection procedure on Monday, so official inspections begin in earnest on Tuesday. In an interesting, though not necessarily causally related revelation, the specific plane that experienced the blowout last Friday had recently been restricted from its regular route to and from Hawaii and limited to overland flights only, following three incidents in which cabin pressurization alert lights were found to be malfunctioning. Boeing's stock remains down on Tuesday. At the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas on Monday, Volkswagen unveiled a voice assistant that they say will allow drivers to have a back-and-forth dialogue with their car so that a person can adjust everything from the air conditioning to the seat positioning with their voices. Rather than interacting with the various functions by pressing a button, Volkswagen insists that, quote, our customers don't want to manually adjust their seats They want to use speech dialogue systems, end quote. Volkswagen sees this as the next step for consumers accustomed to interacting with the infotainment systems of their cars by using Google or Apple-powered assistants, and expects to have the chat GPT-powered voice assistant live in vehicles by the middle of the year. A brief editorial aside. Buttons in cars are good, and having to talk out loud to adjust the mirrors or defrost the rear windshield or turn the volume up during all things considered so you can hear the newscaster over the sound of your own incessant yammering back and forth with the car is bad. The final game of the college football season took place last night, with the Michigan Wolverines defeating the Washington Huskies 34-13, securing their first national title since they earned a split championship with Nebraska in 1997, and the first time the storied program has won an undisputed and outright national title since 1948. The college football playoffs will expand beginning next season, with a 12-team format that will play out over the course of a month, with the first game being played on December 20th and culminating with a championship game on January 20th, 2025. A brief editorial aside, college football has laid the last remaining vestiges of its admittedly, irretrievably corrupt soul on the altar of television. This is the year we traded what we once had for something else. The moment the college football ship of Theseus, which has more or less endured recognizably through the BCS and the four-team playoff era and the beginnings of the outright professionalization of the sport, 
became identifiably something new entirely. Whatever that is, it's not what it once was. What it was was often maddening and unjust, inconclusive and always disputed, arbitrary and parochial, all of those things, and great. Television ruins everything. Podcasts, on the other hand. In even briefer news today, a driver was arrested shortly before 6 p.m. after he crashed his Cadillac Escalade into an external gate at the White House on Monday evening. An explosion at a hotel in downtown Fort Worth, Texas, on Monday afternoon that left 21 people injured, one critically, was caused by a gas leak, authorities said. And three people in Taiwan were hospitalized after ingesting brightly colored laundry detergent capsules that they received in a political campaign mailer and mistook as candy. Among the sickened were two octogenarians, leading the morning press to recall the time Senator Chuck Schumer expressed a sort of longing dismay about the undeniable succulent appeal of Tide Pods. Way back in 2012, years before the Tide Pod Challenge captivated teens in early 2018, Schumer raised the alarm in a press conference. Quote, I saw one on my staffer's desk, and I wanted to eat it. I don't know why they make them look so delicious, he said. Back in Taiwan, the laundry pods were part of a campaign push by the opposition Kuomintang Party, which seeks to unseat the incumbent Democratic Progressive Party, which has held the presidency in the form of President Tsai Ing-wen since 2016. The closely contested three-way race for Taiwan's presidency will culminate with elections on January 13th. It is unclear how much the half a million laundry pods that were delivered to voters will impact turnout or the result. A happy 111th birthday to former president, now deceased, Richard Nixon, who was born on this day in 1913. Also on this date in history, January 9th, 1493, History.com tells us that Christopher Columbus spotted what he believed to be mermaids in the water near his boat anchored in the Caribbean, and declared that they were not nearly so beautiful as they are usually depicted in paintings. Now, here's a look at the weather. The silly Columbus anecdote has spread through a number of online outlets through the years, and even gets mentioned in a Smithsonian website write-up and in the Snopes fact-check of the mermaid myth. While Columbus's original journals were lost, it is true that an early compilation of his letters and logs includes the relevant reference. Quote, On the previous day, when the admiral went to the Rio del Oro, he saw three mermaids, which rose well out of the sea, but they were not so beautiful as they are painted, though to some extent they have the form of a human face. The admiral says that he had seen some at other times in Guinea, on the coast of the Manaqueta. Leaving aside the interesting question of whether mermaid is even the proper word to arrive at when translating the word serenas, which is disputable, I'm fascinated by the insistence in all of the write-ups about Columbus and the mermaids that we take him to mean that he literally believes he is seeing the mythical half-woman, half-fish sea creature, rather than him making a slightly sly joke. He goes on to immediately compare them with others he had seen elsewhere, closer to home. 
All of the articles about this anecdote spread across the internet insist that we understand Columbus to have been, at this moment, something of a pre-modern doofus for his alleged mistake. For as unworldly as we imagine a man of 530 years ago to have been, is it more likely that Columbus truly thought he was seeing some butt-ugly mermaids in these giant creatures, or that he was making a joke, that he was perhaps sarcastically noting that the massive gray sea cow isn't nearly so appealing or pleasing to the eye as the mermaids and sirens depicted in the legends. We have a tendency, especially with those we have deemed unacceptable to the modern moral sensibility, to assume the dumbest, or the worst, or the least recognizably human explanation for the words and behaviors of those who came before us, and of those with whom we disagree. I can't know that Columbus didn't really think he was looking at a trio of mermaids who'd had an unfortunate run-in with the ugly ocean stick, but I think my reading is both more charitable and more likely. As smart as we like to imagine we are, as evolved, as progressed, the truth is, we humans are not really much different creatures than we were 500 or 2,000 or 6,000 years ago. We may know more. We may have easy access to a seemingly infinite and growing pile of information. But we're still just people, and will be for a while yet looking at the world around us, never fully understanding it, and cracking jokes. That's the weather from here. How's it look out your window? The Morning Press is a production of the BrainIron.com multinational media empire. Please direct comments and complaints to brainironpodcast at gmail.com or visit the website at brainiron.com. For a transcript of today's episode and links to the stories referenced, find The Morning Press at brainiron.substack.com, where, if you would like to support this and the other podcasting and blogging endeavors of the brainiron.com media empire, you can also become a paying subscriber. If you can think of anyone else who might enjoy what we're up to around here, please consider sharing. Thanks, and barring the sudden onset of the inevitable, we'll talk to you tomorrow. The proceeding was created with 100% human content.